CP Podcast 86. So today's episode is a really interesting one featuring ortho and MSK specialist physio Gemma Clark and that is patella tendon ruptures. This is a really interesting injury with some pretty distinct features on assessment and also some really important considerations for rehab as well. So if you're ready, let's dive into this brilliant episode. Hope you enjoy it. Hi Gemma, welcome back to the podcast and thank you so much for joining me. So today we're going to be talking about patella tendon ruptures and this is a really interesting injury, isn't it? So perhaps we can start with a little bit of a baseline. What is the patella tendon and what are its key functions? Thanks for having me back, Khaled. Um, yeah, this I, I quite like um, this subject, actually. It's one of my favourite injuries. Um, it, it's really interesting. I was lucky enough to actually watch um, a repair in theatre recently, um, so I'll, wow. I'll delve into that a bit later. But if we're thinking about um, introducing the topic and what is the patella tendon and its function, so it is a large, strong tendon going from the inferior pole of the patella uh, to the tibial tuberosity, so the little bony bit sort of on the the proximal tibia where your shin is. Um, And it forms the the extensor mechanism of the knee, and it allows for the knee to extend and maintain the alignment of the patella. Obviously, if we have a a torn um, patella tendon or a rupture, then we're going to lose that extension of uh, uh, extensor mechanism, um, and you'll find patients will struggle to actually straight leg raise. But we'll, we'll come on to the assessment later. Um, so sometimes people consider the patella tendon as sort of an extension or continuation of the quads tendon um, mm. sort of of the rectus femoris basically that goes over the patella and inserts onto the tibial tuberosity um, and it's about five centimeters in length so that's that's kind of a summary of the patella tendon awesome Fabulous. And so, as you said, we're all thinking here about knee extension. And as you said, when a patient has a patella tendon rupture, they instantly lose knee extension. So that's great. All right. So moving on from there, let's talk about the actual mechanism of injury. How do you find in your practice, how does a patella tendon rupture tend to occur? What are the common stories that you hear? Yeah, so it's usually where you've got a significant overload of the tendon then causing it to tear basically so you get a really a sudden forceful contraction of the quads muscle um, with the knee in a flexed position for example so you'll find people in jumping based sports um, may get this injury Um, or even people just carrying out their everyday activities Um, we often get patients reporting missing a step for example on the stairs falling off a curb um, where their knee is flexed um, at that point and then they feel pain you know acute pain in the knee Um, the greatest force through the tendon is actually when the knee is flexed more than 60 degrees so that's Mm. why you know the mechanism is sort of around with that knee in a flexed position Um, now it, it can be quite common in not the older population but as we get a little bit older um you might start seeing it in in patients over the age of 30 if we're thinking about adult um tendons tearing away um but it can also be you know in the younger patient your your young athletic patients uh where they're you know the patella tendon will evolve from the growth plate at the tibial tuberosity um so it it, that's a different sort of subject there um because we're talking about growth plates and and, and the anatomy of pediatrics is different but um that's yeah another another area to focus on in another 
topic, I guess. Um, but yeah, essentially, there are risk factors that might predispose patients to have a patella tendon rupture. So if they've got a long history of a degenerative process going on in their tendon, like patella tendinopathy or tendinosis, for example, um, where there's that repeated microtrauma to the tendon, and you get that the weakening of the, the tensile strength of the tendon, basically. So that's where they're more inclined to have a rupture. Um, and you'll find when they go to operate on these patients, they're looking at two pieces of very frayed tendon, which can be quite yeah. challenging to bring back together. Um, which is what I witnessed when I went to watch a, a surgery recently. Um, so it, it can be quite challenging to repl- repair those more degenerate tendons. Um, or you may get patients that have had um, repeated steroid injections, for example, for those kind of pathologies um, to help relieve pain, um, which ultimately weakens the tendon, doesn't it? So the, the structure changes, they're then again more at an increased risk of rupture. Um, there might be some other factors or systemic factors for, um, you know, predisposing patients like diabetes um, or sort of rheumatic problems, rheumatoid arthritis, um, even lupus, where there are changes to the structure of the collagen and, and its metabolism. Um, so some patients with these particular conditions may, in fact, have bilateral ruptures to their patella tendon, which, which I have seen um, in inpatient orthopaedics before. Um, it's quite a nasty injury it can be really challenging for these patients um, they end up in bilateral cricket pads blimps and extension initially um, and mobility is obviously a bit of an issue um, but yeah with those particular patients um, it's noted that the tendon's more likely to tear in the middle um, of the tendon so mid portion rather than it being at the insertion um, or the origin um, Obesity, again, that's another increasing, uh, another risk factor that will increase the risk of rupture, just again, because of the forces going through the tendon alone, um, can put these patients at risk of having a significant injury, particularly if they're single leg loading off a curb onto the pavement and with the knee flexed, um, and then they can have a a tear. Um, But yeah, I would say most commonly, you'll see this injury within the, the age of 30s, 40s, um, more commonly in males. Um, why that is, I'm not sure. Um, but it's worth having a look to see why that is. Um, but yeah, I, I've got a patient at the moment who who's 31, I think. He's a footballer and he tore his patella tendon whilst he was playing football. Um, so it can be quite a lengthy rehab process um, for them, actually. Absolutely. And everything that you said there, I totally resonate with. Um, and those risk factors, you talked about them so, so importantly, because you're right, you do tend to find that when someone has a more degenerative tendon, they are more at risk of rupture. And that could be because of the history of tendinopathy, as you said, or the smoking, the diabetes, the obesity. And interesting, I found out with the obesity that it, it when people have um, more fatty deposits around their tendon, that makes it a, a weaker structure. Um, and the other one that you mentioned steroid injections, and the other one that I've always been aware of is previous use of anabolic steroids. So you have these individuals who are going to the gym, it, perhaps in the perhaps a, a, a many years ago, um, using anabolic steroids when it was perhaps more commonly used in gym settings 
compared to now. And they always say, well, I'm so strong. You know, I've always been to the gym. I've been going to the gym for years and years and years. How can this happen to me? And you just ask them, just, I don't suppose you've used anabolic steroids in the past? Well, yeah, I went to the gym and I'm so strong and all that. And they perhaps don't realize that it is a risk factor for the for the degenerative tendon. And I also really agree with you on the flexion position. And really interesting that you noted that, and thank you for this, that more than 60 degrees of knee flexion puts that excessive load or perhaps is a is a point of maximal stress on that tendon um and i think that fits into the mechanism of injury perfectly you mentioned you've had patients who have had bilateral tendon ruptures i have as well i've had a i remember very specifically a really nice lady who was on holiday on a cruise ship fell down the stairs on the cruise ship uh so as you said that 60 degree position comes into effect uh bilateral patella tendon ruptures she's on a cruise ship so they couldn't get her to a and e anytime soon um but yeah, that, that's i not suppose ideal, is it? it's not really ideal not is it ideal. no uh, but hopefully just yeah, to hammer right. home that point that you said about the knee flexion and and that's quite important in the mechanism of injury i think with this particular lady she fell down the stairs in such a way that her knees flexed underneath her so it would have been much more than right. 60 degrees when this happened. So, yeah, just to just to uh, add to your point. So thank you so much for that. Hopefully she had some good insurance there. <laughs> I, I hope she did. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I think I think the story with her is that actually it, it wasn't diagnosed for a little bit because she was on a cruise ship and she couldn't go to A&E. And so she got, you know, medical care of some sort, but it wasn't actually diagnosed for a little while. And therefore she ended up having more challenges with surgery because as you said the yeah. tendons had pulled further away from each other they the, the tendon tissue had retracted and it had made the repair a lot more difficult for her actually um so interesting interesting stories of note so thank you so much for that and hopefully that allows us to move into the next part which is about diagnosis and management so perhaps you would be able to give us some ideas on how a patient is diagnosed if they present to A&E and what immediate management might look like yeah, so they will have an acute injury. Um, generally, they'll be describing hearing a pop or a snap at the time of the injury um, and an inability to weight bear after this has happened. Um, but I would say that there may be some patients in that in, a, in this cohort that may be able to weight bear. So weight bearing doesn't necessarily mean that they haven't torn their patella tendon. Now, you see that with the Achilles ruptures where... Um, the patient has had that sort of pop or snap, but they're still able to mobilise. So that's, I would sort of, um, you know, take that with caution because some patients may be walking with this injury, okay? Um, not well, might I add, but they may still be able to, to wait there, okay? Usually the pain is anterior knee causing, um, you know, irritation around the the sort of patella tendon region. Um, there will be a hemarthrosis or significant swelling around the knee. Um, and sometimes you might see a bit of bruising there as well. Um, they, you may also see like an indentation at the bottom of the patella where the tendon's torn. So sometimes what will happen is the doctors in A&E might assess the patient um, and they, they tend to sort of palpate along the tendon and all of a sudden their ha their finger will sort of dip down where the tendon has been torn. So there'll be a gap. So again, like your Achilles tendon patients that have had a tear, you can feel a palpable gap there. 
Um, on imaging, we may not see any fractures, but we may see a high riding patella. So the patella is sitting a lot sort of higher than, than it would normally, um, which is, is relevant to an imaging point of view because it kind of helps us to understand um, you know, the presentation of the patient and also whether this could indicate that they have had a patella tendon rupture. But of course, we would then need to check with the patient how they're managing to sort of move their knee, um, which leads me on to the sort of objective assessment here. So be, not being able to straight leg raise is probably one of the most important um, indicators for this injury. Um, so really key assessment finding. Um, if they can't do it, then we are going to suspect that they have had a tendon rupture. Okay, But other differentials need to be con considered in this case. So you, patients may not be able to straight leg raise if they've had a patella fracture, for example. If they've had a tibial tuberosity avulsion as a young person, um, and also thinking about quads tendon rupture as well. So although we've got, you know, patella tendon, we're talking about that here, we need to not forget the quads tendon because those can rupture as well. Um, so initially, x-rays are useful there to have a look at um, whether there is a hemothrosis, which you can see on an x-ray, um, whether there is a high riding patella. Um, and of course, um, as per the Ottawa rules, you're going to do the x-ray if they're not weight bearing. Um, and if there's bony tenderness over the sort of patella or tibial tuberosity. So usually we need more than one view um, with an x-ray because it's a 2D image. We can't really see the whole the whole situation. Um, usually x-rays of the knee should be taken with the knee in 30 degrees of flexion. Um, so the, the x-ray department will probably put something underneath the patient's knee so that it sort of positions it in, in 30 degrees. That's where we'll be able to see whether there is a high riding patella. So the sort of medical term for that would be patella alta. So alta um, being a Latin word, I believe, for high or above. Um, Beautiful. So that is something to note. Um, measurements can be taken actually from the x-ray where the consultant may sort of draw a line with the x-ray um, from the sort of inferior pole of the patella down to its insertion um, at the tibial tuberosity, just to measure the length of the tendon to see if there is a retraction, for example. Um, sometimes you get a wavy appearance on, on x-ray of the tendon, um, where it doesn't look completely straight. And you may also see a fluid level on the x-ray, just sort of where there's in the suprapatellar region, um, where there'll be an area of sort of uh, radiolucency, as they would call it, where it looks more black or grey because there's fluid. Um, so that's also worth noting. It's not something that physios p potentially need to be no diagnosing, for example, but I guess as you go more senior or you're working within a fracture clinic, or a virtual fracture clinic, for example, this is something to be to be aware of. Um, then patients may need an MRI scan um, to determine exactly where the tear is or to see whether it's partial or a complete tear. Um, this would be the most sensitive imaging modality, so 99% sensitive MRI, but obviously with caution um, because on MRI scan, um, you, lots of other things will come back that potentially aren't actually causing the patient pain. But here, we're just needing to find out whether we've got a rupture. Um, for a cheaper option, ultrasound can be used. Um, but 
it's operator or user dependent. So you might get one radiographer that does the, the scan and they don't find a tear and then another one that does. So they tend to go for MRI in that case. Um, Interesting. In terms of management, partial tears can be managed conservatively with a knee brace immobilised in full extension for six weeks. Patients can fully weight bearing. And then after that hinge knee brace is used, the consultant will sort of progress extent uh, knee flexion over a period of time within a protocol. Um, usually it's an increase of 30 degrees every every two weeks. But it, nice. again, it's just dependent on what the, the protocol is at your trust, for example, or whether the consultant um, has any preference, but depending on how strong their fixation is or how, um, you know, how, how mobile the patient is, for example. Um, if you've got a full rupture, these usually need an operation to repair the two ends of the tendons, bring them back together. But again, if we've got um, two very frayed ends of, of tendons in a degenerative case, this can be quite challenging. Um, so I believe the, the sort of surgical procedure that they would use is called a whip stitch, um, which you can have a look on the internet, Google whip stitch for patella tendon rupture. Um, I'm not a surgeon, so I'm not going to explain it, all right, but it's it involves quite a lot of um, overlapping of stitching to be able to sort of bring those two ends together to give a really solid um, repair. Um, again, with those cases, operative management will be locked in full extension of a knee brace for four to six weeks, full weight bearing. They'll be given VTE prophylaxis for four to six weeks, um, just because they are post-op and they will be gradually um, allowed to increase knee flexion every thir- sort of every two weeks, 30 degrees, um, aiming for 120 degrees of knee flexion around six weeks. So again, this is dependent on the consultant, um, but usually after six weeks, they're, they're meant to be out of the brace and fully weight-bearing, mobilising, getting the full range of motion back in the knee. Nice. That's awesome. Thank you so much. I was hoping just to ask you a couple of points of clarification, which is because you've given us some absolutely brilliant information. So first of all, on the patella alta, that high writing patella that we sometimes see on x-ray, am I right in thinking that this is similar-ish to when we see other tendon ruptures? So for example, I'm thinking about the long head of biceps at the shoulder. So if the long head of biceps tendon ruptures, you get Popeye sign because the muscle belly falls downwards and therefore you get that um, presentation of, of as if the biceps has fallen down and so I guess the idea here is that with that patella alta because the lower connection the patella tendon gets severed it means that the patella doesn't have that anchor pulling it down and therefore it rides up would that be correct yeah absolutely super thank you so much and then yeah really interesting to hear about the procedure of the um, lock knee brace for six weeks, particularly with the partial um, tendon ruptures and then slowly increasing inflection in here. Now, my understanding with this is that that's all to do with healing and you want to keep the knee in full extension for six weeks to effectively give that tendon the optimal position to try and knit more fibres back together if it's partially torn. So that it means that we're not we're not flexing the knee because that would stretch it and effectively if you imagine that you're trying to glue two pieces of paper together you wouldn't pull them apart you would keep them together and that's the idea with this is that you don't want to flex the knee and therefore pull those fraying tendons apart you keep the knee in extension and then as you said you gradually increase a little bit of flexion 20 degrees 30 degrees every couple of weeks to gradually allow that tendon to get used to a a little bit more flexion would I be right with that? 
Yeah, exactly. So yeah, if you have um, the knee in extension for six weeks, we know that sort of tendon healing, I suppose, can tendon ligaments that sort of thing anywhere up, up to around six weeks after that if we if we were to keep someone locked in extension for longer than six weeks then we would have issues with regaining their range of motion and we also want to be able to you know increase the flexion and allow for further healing to happen in that flex position if that makes sense so that we're not absolutely we're not stuck otherwise we end up with you know, patients stuck in knee extension, then needing an MUA to be able to bend their knee. Um, so yeah, that you're you're right there with that coloured. We've got to allow those two um, ends of the tendon to sort of repair nicely together. Beautiful. No, that's fantastic. And uh, yeah, as you said, that's a really key point is that eventually we do need to do some flexion. Otherwise, they'll need a manipulation under an aesthetic, as you said. That's really great. Thank you so much, Gemma. So let's finally dive into physiotherapy. So what kind of things could we expect that we would need to complete with our patient in terms of their rehab after this injury? Yeah, so I'm going to keep it more of an, I guess, to an outpatient perspective, um, because this is mostly where we're going to sort of be doing rehab with the patient. Um, so initially, we've got, they've got their brace on. They're going to be mobilising with crutches. The brace is locked in extension. So we will probably be making sure that the patient can actually don and off their splint correctly, making sure the crutches are at the right height for the patient. Um, and just, again, making sure they're safe with their mobility. Um, we can give plenty of advice around managing pain and swelling. So post-op, they can be quite uncomfortable. Um, there will be swelling. Um, so using ice and encouraging elevation regularly is really important to help reduce the pain and swelling um, and encourage them to take pain relief. So lots of patients will say, oh, I don't I don't like taking pain relief, but then they are in a lot of pain and they're struggling to sort of um, get involved with their exercises or to be compliant, as we would say, with their exercises. So we want to optimise um, pain relief as much as possible just so that we can get patients mobilizing and get their them rehabbed as, as best as possible um, initially we'll set exercises um, for the patient so ankle pumps pretty standard patients post-op for example we want to prevent things like dvt so getting them moving their their feet and ankles regularly and they can do that with the brace on that's that's quite a, a simple one to do um, static quads so tensing their thigh muscle um, is something that we would encourage them to do, holding it maybe for five to 10 seconds initially and increasing the amount of time they, they can hold it for. Um, they can also do a straight leg raising with the brace. So with these sort of exercises, we're aiming to um, just get them, we're getting them activating their muscles, aren't we? So maybe aiming for 10 repetitions and doing them fairly frequently during the day, three to four times a day is enough. Um, we can also pre preserve the other muscles around um, the, in the lower limb. So focusing on things like hip extension and abduction in standing, glute squeezes, for example, and a bit of weight transferring in standing just to encourage weight bearing because lots of patients will come in um, biased to one side because they're in pain standing on the other side. Um, so it's really important to get them used to weight bearing over over onto the operated leg or to their um, injured side. Um, and then when it's safe, um, as per the protocol that you're following, 
We then start adding in knee flexion and extension in the brace um, set at the the degrees as per the consultant. So they can bend and straighten in the brace comfortably. Um, And then once they're out of their brace, um, we're looking at restoring movement patterns and gait. So that's really important. Patients will have a loss of knee flexion initially that can be quite difficult to improve initially um, because of pain because of stiffness Um, they they do this can persist for quite a few weeks actually where they're really struggling to get their knee flexion but they then tend to turn a bit of a corner um, you know a few more weeks down the line where they're, they're able to sort of get that knee flexion which is why we want to encourage them to do active assisted knee flexion where they can sit in the chair bend their knee to wherever they can get it to and then just hook the other leg in front um, over the sort of shin area and just assist the leg backwards so pushing it back that's a really nice exercise or they can get a towel around their foot um, sort of sat up um, on a bed for example and just bend the knee pulling the towel towards them so there's lots of different exercises that you can give patients to to get their knee bending Um, we might do a bit of uh, manual therapy for example when it's again safe to do so we've got to be cautious because if we've got somebody that's had um, a patella tendon repair we don't want to be pushing somebody's knee forced into flexion too vigorously but sometimes this can be useful um, to to give them a little bit of assistance perhaps where they're just not able to manage it themselves Um, now when we're thinking about gait we've got to think about the uh, the fact that they do lose a bit of heel strike as well because their knee is not flexing well so we're just again giving them plenty of education around gait um, and getting encouraging them giving them good pointers on getting their heel down when they're when they're sort of walking into heel strike into toe off all right hydrotherapy really useful as well to start patients off with if they're in pain or again they're struggling with land-based exercises the buoyancy of the water is going to be really useful to get patients more active and be able to manage their exercises Um, and it can sometimes reduce the the fear around doing exercise Um, you'll be surprised how much they can actually do when you get them in into the water Um, again it depends on whether you're the the place you're working at has access to things like hydrotherapy but you can you know, set your patients some exercises to do in the pool, walking up and down in the pool, mini, mini squat. Um, they can walk backwards, sideways, heel raises. There's lots of different things that you can do and set them to do um, in their own time. Um, again, out of the brace, you'll notice they're still biased to one side. And you'll know you'll notice this um, more if you get them to do a sit to stand from the chair. You'll find that they load up through their non-operated or their uninjured side a bit more so I tend to give exercises um, to try and encourage this so again sit to stand but getting them um, doing it in front of a mirror so they can actually see where they're weight bearing give them a bit of feedback um, and it is quite an effective exercise to to give somebody um, and be mindful that the, the gastrocnemius soleus can actually atrophy as well um, so heel raises are a really useful exercises to uh, really useful exercise to give somebody at this point as well. Once we've got range restored, then and the brace is off, we can start progressing to full range of motion. Um, again, 
you might find they have a little bit of stiffness towards the end of range, but we can get on with strengthening exercises. Um, the quads will atrophy significantly after this procedure, um, after they've had it repaired, um, and even with a partial tear. So it, it's really important to focus on, on their quad strength, but not just the quads. We have to look at the other muscles around um, the knee. So we've got the, the hamstrings, the glutes, uh, and also your sort of calf gastronemius soleus muscles that are, that are really important um, at this point. Um, returning to sport, so around 50% of these patients won't return to their previous level of activity, um, which, yeah, it's not, you know, for some patients that can be quite um, negative or quite upsetting for them because lots of these patients have been previously very active. Um, but it's just that there is a risk of re-rupture after having um, a patellar tendon rupture. It all depends, again, on your patient's recovery, if they're progressing well with their range, if they're getting full strength, at least 90% to walk to the other leg, and if they're actually psychologically ready. I think that's something that we also forget, um, is that whilst we really want to focus on the, um, you know, the biomedical aspect of strengthening and gym and rehab and exercise we also need to think about the patient's psychological impact of having a significant injury and whether or not somebody is ready to return to sport um whether they're anxious um or you know is there are there any other factors that are affecting their return to play basically so there's lots of things we've got to think about um and it's important to note that it can take sort of over a year for some of these patients to return to their activities. Now, I've got a patient at the moment who has been on my caseload for nearly a year now. He's a footballer. Um, he's also a football coach. So for him, um, you know, it, it's really important that we see through his rehab until he's able to return to sport um, because of the level, um, you know, of, of strength or um, power, speed, etc., that is needed for him to play football. So you may find these patients do stay with you for quite some time, much like an ACL reconstruction, um, which can take again, you know, twelve months plus to return to play. It's very similar for these patients too. Amazing! Thank you so much, Gemma. There's loads of brilliant information that you've given us in there. I totally resonate with you about a few things in there. Number one, the difficulty in getting flexion back. I have definitely had patients who have had, uh, I think this one was a quads tendon rupture, but nevertheless, a, a similar story that they actually got to 90 degrees and I don't think they got any more. This was a 55 to 60 year old gentleman, I remember, really, really struggled um, to get more flexion. So that's certainly something to look out for. As you said, the psychological readiness for going back to sport, especially if they injured and, and ruptured their patella tendon in their sport the first time as you said it can be really difficult and I think as you said the the challenge with returning to sport for a tendon in particular is that we do put load through the tendon and therefore those plyometric type of movements that you will get all the time in sport the short and stretch cycle as they sometimes talk about with that kind of movement is challenging when you have a repaired tendon in a very similar way to, I suppose, a repaired ligament. But of course, with a ligament, it's more the stretch, whereas this is the load going through it because it's a tendon, a slightly different structure. So 
yeah, it is challenging. And I can totally foresee, as you said, that 50% statistic. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's super interesting. So certainly something that we need to bear in mind. Gemma, you've given us loads of brilliant information in this podcast, something, you know, really, really useful for people listening. And uh, I'm sure if people have a patella tendon rupture patient in the future, they'll be able to draw on a lot of your experience here. So thank you so much as always. And we look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you, Khaled. See you soon. So thank you so much to Gemma for today's episode. As she said, and I truly echo this as well, patella tendon ruptures are really interesting injuries. And when you fully assess one and rehab them in practice, you will absolutely agree as well, I'm sure. And you'll find all the aspects that come with it a real interesting challenge. Thank you so much for listening. See you soon.